The organizational theorist, Henry Mintzberg, defines strategy as a pattern in a stream of decisions. It is a plan developed to realize an organization's goals and objectives. Such a plan leads to strategic changes that often alter an organization's operations, marketing products, and investment to achieve the desired results. But how do successful technology companies look for ways to assist customers to define changes that will support reaching their objectives? In this episode, we'll hear from Joe Batista, whose four-decade-long career in technology and whose role as chief creatologist at such companies as Dell Technologies and Hewlett Packard placed him at the intersection of strategy, technology, and value creation for hundreds of corporations across a diverse portfolio of industries. We'll discuss concepts like client centricity, deep thinking, and asset hunting in a way that is relevant for finding non-obvious opportunities to support an organization's strategy. Joe, welcome to our podcast series. Hey, John. It's both a pleasure and I really appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience today. It's great to have you. Before we really get into some of our questions, though, tell the audience about yourself and and what did it take to create a career path that led you to decades with the title of Chief Creatologist at two of the world's largest computer manufacturing companies? <laughs> Actually, John, it was totally by design once I graduated college. No, 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 not really. <laughs> Clearly, John, you know, it's been, you're right, it's been four decades. And when I graduated uh, college, uh, and you might recall this, Fed fund rates were at uh, just shy of 15%. Mm-hmm. Mortgages were at 18%. Unemployment was at 11%. And I remember that the pub on campus had a rejection letter night. So for every rejection letter that you brought to the pub, you would get a free beer. Well, I had over 100 rejection letters. And I went off to Europe and studied and toured in Europe. And when I came back, I was very fortunate through a newspaper article to land a job after a very extensive interview with the 90 slots for a company called Digital Equipment Corporation. Ah. And I wasn't really excited, John, about that because it was in sales. And I had graduated with both a marketing and accounting degree. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go into sales. And back then, sales, I was thinking about Kirby vacuum cleaner. Right, right. But, you know, that launched my career. And, you know, I only had eight managers, and I can name them in that first 35 years of my career. Fantastic colleagues, fantastic customers, fantastic markets, technology, projects. It was just an incredible journey. But in the early 90s, something changed. And I was in a meeting with the VP of the Americas. So he managed everything from the North Pole to the South Pole in the Americas. And he turned to me and he said in a meeting, goes, that's a real creative idea. That is out of the box thinking. And he's a real jovial Italian guy, really nice guy. And he goes, you know, we're going to call you the creatologist. Everyone was kind of quiet around the table. And I said, well, how many of those do we have in the company? And he goes, only one. I go, well, then I'm the chief creatologist. <laughs> well, you know, we all, we, all, we all laughed about it. We all laughed about it. But, you know, I put on my marketing hat. It wasn't until two years later that there might be a brand. And basically that brand was to, to help our field-facing organization think outside the box with our customers to take technology and unlock new business opportunities. And, and that's it in a nutshell. In four decades, it's been a wonderful ride. You know, Joe, I've looked up the definition of creatologist, and it's interesting how your title came about. And I've seen that a creatologist can be described as an expert in the study of creativity and innovation, and then its application to a variety of different endeavors. 
tell us about your role as a creatologist at companies and what were your objectives at companies like, well, HP and Dell? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. By the way, John, I think you're very generous on the word expert. So let's unpack this a little bit. Mm-hmm. The role is really customer facing and there are some ingredients in that customer facing. And maybe I'll tell a story to kind of make this a little bit more real. But the first thing is extreme client centricity. Mm. The second is combine that with some deep thinking and then what I call combinatorial innovation or open innovation. You know, how do you combine, you know, your innovation at your company at uh, DEC or HP or Dell with the client? So I, I think a really quick story for this would be when I was involved with the account team at Stanley Black and Decker. And they said, hey, Joe, can you help us understand Stanley Black and Decker? And one of the things that I came up with is Stanley Black and Decker had this 2222 initiative. So by 2022, they wanted to be a $22 billion company. Mm. The second interesting insight was that they had just bought the Sears Craftsman brand. Now, our account teams knew this, right? I said, well, let's live this customer. Let's do some deep thinking. When Stanley Black & Decker buys Craftsman, where did Sears manufacture the product? And they were all looking at me. I go, they manufactured it overseas. It was in in China or, or, or in India. But when they bought the product, where are they going to manufacture the product? There was a big blank stare. And I said, well, Stanley Black & Decker is made in USA. So you know they're going to bring this production facility back in the USA. And as a matter of fact, if you read the S4, which a lot of folks don't usually read the S4, mm. which is when something material changes, right, right and mergers and acquisitions, they report it, right? Well, in the S4, it says we're going to build a new manufacturing facility and we're going to retro another manufacturing facility. And the big aha was, oh, wait a minute, we do all the SAP outsourcing. Exactly. So how can you align with our innovation around what we do for them in SAP now that you have some deep thinking about what they're trying to accomplish and how can you create alignment of interest to move their agenda forward with technology? That was point one. Point two was this whole concept of cash. So if I was the CFO and I had this 2222 initiative, where am I going to take my cash? Am I going to buy technology? Am I going to uh, pay a dividend or am I going to do M&A? And if you did the calculation on 22-22, they needed to grow 11.4% compounding annually. So technology projects would be challenged if it's not directly critical path to the 22-22 initiative. So that's what I mean by extreme client centricity mm. combined with some deep thinking and then what is your value prop and how does it align with the customer and that basically is what we were trying to do so our objective was real simple john right is how do you unlock value mm. how do, what's the range of outcomes that you can produce reduce risk compress schedules cost, cost optimization move to adjacencies and all that and then you need to double down on your skill sets of trying to figure out how to make that happen. And that basically, in a nutshell, is what we were trying to do when we were at, at Dell and HP. Wow. And this sort of leads me into what our primary theme for this season is, is that it's about change. And and based on your background and experience, the focus was on more from a strategic and, and to some extent, almost transformational change. And then in terms of developing strategy, you've sort of given us a little bit of an, an insight in there, but maybe we can unpack that a little bit more and discuss how or did you create a process or have a process during your career that especially in uncovering hidden opportunities in working with clients? 
Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to struggle just like uh, another interview you had with my dear friend Craig Dubinsky. You know, mm. the process. You know, what, what is the process? Right. So let's let's see if we yeah. So let's see if we can we can give some folks some insights and some actionable takeaways from of the process. So let's go back a step for one. And let's look at the Stanley Black and Deck. Now, I'll give you another story to kind of make this a little bit more real again. There's this concept that called asset hunting. And what asset hunting is, you look inside your company for value. Do you have a core business processing? Do you have IP? Do you have R&D? Do you have an ecosystem? Do you have some really smart people you know, stuck someplace that you want to unleash? Obviously, you have technology. Uh, do you have software? Do, do you use your data? What's your channel look like? So there's all sorts of places to find those really interesting uh, assets. So I'll, I'll give you a quick story in asset hunting. It's regarding mushrooms. I know, I know. You're probably thinking, <laughs> what the hell does mushrooms have to do with, in this case, Dell Technologies? Well, there's a core competency inside Dell uh, and a, a former colleague uh, by the name of Oliver Campbell, who's a sustainability engineer. And mushroom packaging, when you buy a laptop, we ship it in mushroom packaging because the properties are better than styrofoam and it's cheaper. Mm. Now, that's an interesting asset. You know, Dell really leads in sustainability with ocean plastics and mushroom. Well, how does that apply? Well, we were talking to a toy company and they said, what if we could apply this expertise to your packaging? And as a matter of fact, again, if you look really hard, you would find that this particular toy company spent 11.4% of their SG&A in packaging, paper, plastic, and resin, right, for toys. And that opened up a whole interesting conversation about supply chain, packaging, et cetera. So that's what I mean by asset hunting. Take a moment and look deep inside your company because there is a lot of value that just isn't unlocked. The second ingredient on this, and I'll never forget this, uh, the, the gentleman who actually came up with the creatologist, Jack, he says, you know, I, I can't afford a lot of free-range chickens because we're a volume company, we sell products, but I need a few free-range chickens that cross the boundaries of the organization and the customer to figure out and unlock new opportunities. So one is structurally, organizationally, do you have any free-range chickens out there? And then secondly is, have you really done an inventory of those assets to unlock? And I think those two ingredients, when you really focus that with the customer, unlock enormous amount of opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because for most people, when we talk strategy, I was a business owner, a partner in a very large printing organization. And one of the things that we would do, yes, we would go through that the required budgetary process every year. We'd look at the financial numbers. And then we talk a little bit about our markets. But we never really talked in terms of until we became a very mature company, what are our core strengths? What, what do we do different than maybe everybody else? Why do we have relationships with clients that last for decades? What is it that we're doing a bit differently? And you come up with those little value kernels and nuggets that sort of like, well, you sort of overlook. And how do I take that and enhance that? And how do I move that around? So when you talked about, as an example, that whole idea of mushrooms and the idea of, of you're a technology company, and yet you have a conversation about sustainability and packaging. So I think that's a great example of how you dig deep within the organization and understand, wow, we can create value beyond what our core product is, and then think about the loyalty that brings from a client standpoint. Yeah. Oh, my God, John, spot on. And I just 
honed in on one key word on that conversation, what I call the dialogue. Uh. What's the dialogue look like in what I call the last three feet between your brand and the client? What's that dialogue sound and look like? I've always told my my colleagues in sales and pre-sales is the relevancy test. When you have a conversation, how much of what you just communicated to that client, you know, executive briefing, face-to-face, Zoom call, whatever, how much of what you just communicated can that client secure off the internet? If the percentage is high, 70, 80, 90%, you're irrelevant. So the dialogue for me is so essential in listening to the customer and opening up new dialogues with new languages and new ideas. So yeah, you're, you're spot on with the conversation comment. Yeah, it's critically important. The other thing is, and you're, I know you didn't like the term necessarily, but you were an expert at this, coming up with ideas, but you can only take the client so far. You can show them, but then the next phase is, how do they implement that new initiative? And change initiatives, especially within companies, oftentimes fail. But in your experience, what are some of the key factors that were most impactful to successful implementations? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's let's pick another um, story out of the playbook. Okay, so a healthcare provider. Mm. Right? And by the way, the, the path, what I call the path forward strategies, always vary by the customer because the context, and customers are very uneven, and the context that they live in and their DNA structure is also different. So Let's use this uh, healthcare payer. So this healthcare payer uh, had just bought a PBM, a pharmacy benefits manager, and they're doing the right thing that they always do, right? I need to consolidate so I can optimize the investment that I made. And the initiative that we were involved in was taking nine data centers and you know, trying to figure out how to get the two data centers. Right. So it was a cost optimization exercise, right? Very typical. And my good friend, Dan, who was the client account manager says, Joe, there's got to be something else here that we can do for this client. Let me investigate. Let me do some deep thinking and the client centricity insights. And one of the interesting stories that we came up with, and this is the fact of what I call the what if. Mm. Okay. So we had a quarterly business review and I, we, you know, I spoke and I turned to Eric, who was the senior person in the room from the client. And I said, you know, what if Eric, the business unit came back to you and said that they wanted to collect sleep apnea data, EKG data, and blood pressure data. And he's looking at me because, you know, he's a technology guy. He goes, I, I'm not understanding the question. I go, well, you know, if they collect this data, two things can happen. One is I can reduce the medical loss ratio. And the MLR is, you know, in a health payer, how much do I pay into the healthcare system? So if I take a dollar premium, mm. How many cents do I have to pay for, you know, imaging and doctors? Well, we knew because it's a public number that it was around 84.7 cents. Hmm. So 84 cents, almost 85 cents of every dollar is paid back. Well, if you could treat, you know, Joe and the population better by lowering the medical loss ratio down, then that would increase your profits. Like the second reason you would want to know that is you can write price, write price the, the policy because, you know, Joe and John probably have a higher risk of a certain disease state. Mm. It goes, oh, okay, that's interesting. Go, well, let, let me tell you why this is important for technology executives like yourself. Here we are, double down on the data center consolidation, and I really, we all really appreciate the opportunity. But if the business pivots to acquiring this data at the edge, 
and this is my this is our concern is now we have this edge technology edge that we now have to think about that if two percent of the 70 million members opt in to collect this data do you realize it's a 75 terabyte storage impact to the design of this optimization data center consolidation he goes i had no clue i go that's the opportunity is we're thinking about what the next play is and we don't want to put ourselves in what i call a checkmate position uh-huh. so if the business pivots to the edge and there's some fundamental reasons why we want to make sure that as a technology consultant to you that we're thinking about this well that just opened up a whole bunch of doors and working with the business units getting it to work with business and rethinking what you know data centers look like and what the edge looks like and you know, how does that map out to some type of business outcome? When you think about that 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 journey, I, I didn't have all the data, but I had some pieces of insightful data about the customer and the what-if scenario got us to work much more closely with them in the business unit. So if you look at the process, it's how do you discover the insights, how do you unlock them, and then how do you unleash it? And if you can create an alignment between business units, IT, and a vendor, boy, that's a powerful combination. You bring up a fascinating insight, and that is that for many executives and organizations, whether they know it or not, they become somewhat compacted into a silo. And they don't think beyond what the task and endeavor that they have for their, whether it's a business unit, whether it's for a department, and it's oftentimes for them to think outside of that. And like yourself, you call them those free-range chickens, right? Those people that go across departments to understand what the total flow is to the eventual product and delivery to the client. From that perspective, you were thinking in terms of not just what exists today, but rather think of what tomorrow will bring. And then make sure that we're not building a process or a system that limits us to that, perhaps what would that next outcome might be. Yep. Yep. Again, operative word there is silos and just need a little imagination to think outside the silo is refreshing and it's kind of fun actually. Yeah, no, and no question about it. And I think that's really, really, can, and we talked about it before about unlocking that value. Now, okay, technology today. Uh, we know that the rate of technological change is constantly accelerating. It's certainly accelerating in new and transformative ways. And while you know, I didn't sort of lead you to believe that I was going to talk about this, but I have to ask about artificial intelligence and the incorporation of AI into so many new aspects of what we'll be dealing with in our not only our daily lives, but from a technology standpoint. What are your thoughts on AI and how that will transform technology and the human interaction? Oh my God, John, that could be a whole other podcast series right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, let's take a step back about change and then change in AI. Change is an interesting word for me. It's kind of a loaded, um, it's a loaded word. And I, I always default back to Jack Welch's uh, quote, which is that the velocity of change outside your company is faster than the velocity of change inside your company. You're toast. Mm. So I think in the back of your mind, you need to understand what the velocity of change is outside your company. So you can kind of calibrate or stay ahead of what the velocity change should be inside your company. Because, you know, change is is disruptive in in many layers. And obviously, artificial intelligence is a disruptor. So 
I'm going to introduce a second word, and that's vector. Mm. When you read, starting in November, all the pundits in our industry, and you can name them, have these trends, right? And, you know, big data was kind of a real popular one, and cloud first, and digital first, and, and now the one that seems to be making a lot of the rounds is AI. And I like to use the word vector. So trends for me are are kind of like horoscopes. They're kind of fun to read, but they don't mean a lot to me, you know? Right. A vector, a vector is, if you remember math, it's the magnitude and direction of change. So I'm trying to understand what the vector is of a trend that lies underneath the iceberg. And AI is one of those really interesting ones. So there's a lot of great technology, and, but Fundamentally, this AI allow me to redesign an organization? Does it allow me to substitute skill sets and capabilities? Does it allow me to optimize workflow? Does it allow me to embed it into a product to differentiate it? Does it allow me some predictive capability that will optimize a business process like a supply chain. Mm. So I think if you think of AI, what I call AI plus, AI and something, like AI and workflow, AI and business process, AI and skill set, right. then your imagination begins to open up on what the range of possibilities there. Then you can review the technologies. Then you can understand what the implementations are going to look like, et cetera. But I'm really interested in the vector of AI mm. and how that vector of AI is going to differentiate, optimize, get me into a new market with my business. Does that kind of make sense? It does make sense. And a lot of the conversation comes down to somewhat an irrational fear of the technology. I just tell people, try it one day. You can go on ChatGPT, sign up for an account, and see what it's like. See what's, see what's, that's, and that's a simple example, but... You know, many people just talk with absolutely no exposure to it whatsoever. And and I happen to agree that something as great as predictive analytics or, you know, data analytics and make it easier to provide me information that I can convert to knowledge. How do I make that information actionable and understand what that will deliver for me in terms of value? Yep, absolutely concur. We have a lot of students that are listeners, and I wanted to understand, what's your advice do you have for students starting a career or for budding entrepreneurs, especially as it relates to uh, the technology industry? Oh, great. I love talking with students. I was a guest lecturer at a number of universities and haven't done that for a number of years, but I truly enjoy that. So here's my, uh, hopefully, pearls of of wisdom. I'm going to mention two things. Uh, The first thing is, and you kind of alluded to this in your commentary, which is, continuous learning. I thought when I you know, graduated my two undergraduate degrees, I was all set. That's not the case anymore. So the concept here, I'm going to introduce another kind of concept. It's what I call triple-double players. Now, if you remember basketball, right? It's triple-double players is, you know, a player who scores double digits and, you know, rebounds, assists, and points. Okay, that's a triple-double player. And a triple-double player in my vernacular is the following. Strong technical acumen, you know, using applications, understanding technology, that's one. Two is communications, collaborations, creativity, you know, working with others, working with teams, working with customers. And the third one is in financial acumen. I learned really early in my career when I was started in sales, I had built up this customer centricity skill set, but it wasn't enough. I needed to really round out 
my player capability. So constantly look at and do an inventory of your skills and capabilities and keep in the back of the mind that concept of a triple-double player. You know, do I have business and financial acumen? Do I have technical acumen? Do I have the communications, collaborations, teamwork, and creativity to apply to, you know, the opportunities? And I, th- I think the second big insight is stay curious. Yeah. Because when you're curious, it just brings a whole nother level of opportunities that you just might have not thought of. So I think those are two great pillars to have moving forward. Thank you for that. Now I've got a tougher question for you, Joe. What? Oh, don't one, tell me it's a one-word question. Yes, I hate it one is. Word <laughs> oh, man. What one word describes who you are? John, this is so characteristic of you. <laughs> the one-word question. Uh, so let's think about this for a moment. Well, let me give you my opinion on one-word questions first. So <laughs> I'm a chameleon. My one-words change constantly because of the context that I live in. Sure. So, you know, when I work with a customer, it always changes. But if I had to, if I had to pick one, I would definitely say curious. Uh, that's a great word. I asked that question of someone recently during an interview, and they couldn't think of one. They said, well, what's yours? And I said, mine is curious. And oh, is it? It is, because I'm a lifelong learner. I know enough to know that I don't know enough. And what it comes down to is understanding that there's so much out there that contributes to my overall base of knowledge. But it's all about connecting, right? It's all about putting things together and maybe looking at things in a new and different way. To me, that makes life interesting, right? Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Boy, why we, we had more in common than I actually thought. <laughs> Joe, this has been great. I really appreciate your time, and thanks so much for being part of our series. John, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And, you know, if your audience wants to DM me on LinkedIn, they're more than welcome to, because I, I do have a lot of interesting ideas, insights, and comments. So thanks for the opportunity again. Again, thanks so much. For Joe Batista. The role of chief creatologist was to take innovative approaches to help customers reach their strategic objectives. He shared the various concepts he uses to look for non-obvious approaches to formulating ideas that align with strategy. For example, deep thinking. It's a cognitive process focused on delving beyond apparent and surface level factors and is a crucial element underlying all his approaches. Deep thinkers use thorough and reflective analysis to explore complex ideas, concepts, or problems. It involves critical thinking. It involves synthesizing various information to create a comprehensive understanding of a subject. And he applies abstract reasoning. He uses concepts like extreme customer centricity and the importance of having an in-depth conversation with the customer to understand what is required and how it aligns with their objectives and he uses what-if scenarios to understand the consequences of investment decisions. Joe talked about a strategy known as asset hunting, to look deep within inside your organization to uncover value creation opportunities that can be applied outside the core products and services. In this case, he used the example of Dell Technologies Sustainability Program, using mushroom packaging to ship laptops because of its properties are better and cheaper than styrofoam. He leveraged this to amplify his value to a toy company customer for its packaging, which was beyond the technology products he was there to sell. His advice to those entering the job market or starting a tech company is to become, in basketball vernacular, a triple-double player. That's a player with a rare game stats combination of double-digit points, rebounds, and assists. In the technology business, this is someone with a strong technical acumen communication and people skills 
and a knowledge of business and finances. And the one word Joe used to describe himself is curious. Always searching for new knowledge and a necessary attribute for deep thinking. Thanks to Joe Batista for sharing his knowledge and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecca and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The interim dean of the School of Management and executive producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohen. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Professor Ellie Schwartz and Victoria Greco for all their support. Until next time.